I want to just read one passage of Scripture to open and then pray over the Word once again. We've been doing a series in youth, and it's called Make New. And I'll give you a bit of a recap for those of you that haven't ventured into youth service over the last few weeks, but I did want to continue on what we've been talking about there in this service tonight. But the key verse that we have been talking about, the one we've been looking at and going through is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if any man, somebody say any man, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things. Somebody say all things. All things are become new. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. I want to talk to you from this subject tonight, make new. Would you pray with me one more time before you're seated and just open up your heart to receive what the Lord wants to speak to us tonight? Jesus God, we, we pray over this next bit of time that we have together, and as we explore your word and as we look into your word, I pray that you would speak to us collectively as a church family, as families, as, as a youth group, as young married couples, Lord, as seniors, and I pray that everybody that hears this word tonight would receive a deeper understanding of what you are wanting to speak to us, and, and this new life that you have not only given us, but promised to everybody that would seek after you. And so, Lord God, I just pray and I ask that I would be a vessel that you can speak through, Lord, that I would be the oracle of heaven, and that your word would go forth with power and with anointing and with understanding in Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Now, what we've been talking about is that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says that anybody, it, anybody at all, you and me and, and those that don't know the Lord yet, anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation and everything that is old passes away and everything is new. It's, it's different. And so what we've been talking about and what we've been exploring is that how Jesus, he, he makes us new and how he helps us to walk in this newness of life, not only for ourselves, but so that we reflect his glory everywhere that we go and in every interaction that we have with everybody around us. Now, have you ever done something not realizing that at the time, it might have been the wrong thing to do. After you've, you've done it, you have a little bit of remorse or you have that, that sinking stomach feeling like, uh-oh, I, I did not do this right. I, I didn't think this through and I probably could have weighed my options a little bit better. Just me, a couple other people. I remember this story uh, and I hope you don't think less of me after this, but uh, there was this story of when I was very young. I don't even remember how old I was, and my mom and I were going through the dollar store. And I knew, like I, I knew, I, I understood at least on the surface that stealing was not good. But there was just something in the dollar store that day that really caught my attention. And it was this, if I remember right, I'm going way back, but it was like some sort of plastic pirate sword. It was just, it was just something silly. And so because I wanted it, mom, do you remember this? She was so embarrassed. I, I slipped it underneath the cart when she wasn't looking. And we walked out of the dollar store and I was feeling pretty good. Not only did I get it, but she didn't have to pay for it. 
And we got outside the dollar store, and if I remember correctly, I think we made it out of the mall into the parking lot, and I swiftly grabbed that sword, and I said, I got it, or I tricked you, or whatever I said in the moment. And I just remembered her reaction and that sinking feeling that what I had just done was probably not a good thing. And I do remember marching back into the dollar store very quickly thereafter. And I did not get to take home that plastic sword that day, but I did get to return it to the cashier and tell them that I took it without paying for it. But there was just something within me that I I did something and I immediately knew based on my mom's reaction that what I did wasn't necessarily right. And all of a sudden, I began to understand that value of not stealing. My values began to change in that moment. I realized that what I did was wrong. Another example I want to give you. You ever tried to carry out a task without instructions? Men? Building furniture? Putting something together? And it's just not working right, and you realize it's because one of the parts that you weren't supposed to use, you used five steps ago, and now you've got to take apart everything that you just did just to get that one screw that's the right length to go into the right hole to put that together, and what was supposed to be a quick half an hour job on a Saturday afternoon turns into a full-blown four-hour session of how to build IKEA furniture, to be specific. Not using instructions can be painful. I, I'm not usually uh, an impulse shopper. I, I don't go out and shop a lot, but I was at, the, uh, I was at Toys R Us uh, picking up something for my son, a little plastic tool set. And I, I, I promise you, full intentions, I was there just for him, okay? I really was. But I passed by this Lego set. <laughs> I, don't, I don't own any Lego, and I don't collect it. I have none of it in my house that I can recall. But there was something about this Lego set that spoke to me because it was a John Deere tractor. And I don't, like, you know, really love that kind of thing. But for some reason, the object with the price tag associated with it, it just, it just spoke to me. And so I had to pick it up. And I, I got to be honest, I did buy it. And it was only $40. It's okay. But with that Lego set came some, some instructions. And this is about a 100-page book. And without these instructions, I would not be able to build that Lego set. I need somebody to offer me instruction, to show me the way on how to put that together. And I did. Or maybe, for example, you've, you've traveled without a map or without using GPS before, and after you took four wrong turns and had to backtrack half an hour, you realize that you are probably going the wrong way. All of these things are associated together because sometimes we need instruction. And without instruction or without instructions, like building this Lego John Deere tractor that I paid $40 for, we can't really get to the end goal that we want. If I tried to put that Lego tractor together on my own, you wouldn't even be able to recognize it by the time I was done. It would not look like a tractor at all except for the fact that it had four wheels. But the instructions, they, they show me and they guide me how to do what I am supposed to do. I could hand you a basketball and you could maybe step onto a basketball court or you could step onto a hockey rink with a puck and with, uh, and, uh, with a hockey stick 
And you could, you could probably figure out what the goal is. You know, you've got two empty nets, you've got this puck, you've got this stick, but you wouldn't necessarily know all the rules and the regulations of how to play the game. And so it's important in life that we have instructions and we have value systems that we abide by. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And so I say all that to, to guide you into what I want to talk about tonight, but I will recap with just what we've been talking about over the last few weeks in, in youth. We talked about in, in the first week of this series how uh, this new life Jesus wants to give us is for everybody. And the person that we talked about was Rahab. Rahab was a harlot, and she was a person. By all rights, she was appointed for destruction because she was living in Jericho. She happened to be in the wrong place. Jericho was bound for destruction, but Rahab happened to be in the wrong place, but she was there at the right time. And because Rahab showed faith by saving the Israelite spies from the king of Jericho, she was offered a new life that she didn't deserve. And similarly, sometimes we have to be retrospective and remember what life used to be like without Jesus when we weren't walking in covenant relationship with him. But we did not deserve this new life that God has given us. We didn't deserve it. There was nothing I could have done. There is no way that I could have lived to inherit this new life that God wants to bless me with and bless you with and bless this city with. There's nothing I could have done but Jesus he gives us this opportunity to be born again, and we place our faith in him. And through that faith, we become obedient. We repent of our sin. We are baptized in the name of Jesus, and we seek after the gift of the Holy Spirit by the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's that new life. And if you haven't had the opportunity yet to experience that new life, it is for you. And not only is it for you, and not only is it for me, but it's for everybody that doesn't even know who Jesus really is yet. For the people that don't even understand yet that they need a new life, and there is a, a life more abundant that they could live if they only knew who Jesus was. That's Rahab. Now, in our second lesson, we not only talked about this new life, but this new purpose that when we experience that salvation, there is a new purpose that he gives us. And Peter of the New Testament, he was a fisherman. But Jesus wanted to make Peter not just a fisherman, but a fisher of men. And Peter, he had to leave everything in his old life behind to follow after Jesus and follow after the call of God that was in his life. And we read, if we look in the scripture, he had these nets that had broken from such a great haul that Jesus, if you remember the story, he said, cast your nets again. Go out one more time after he had fished all night. He said, I don't want to do that, but whatever you say, master, I will do it. And the, the catch was so great that they had to call another ship over. He had to get his friends to help, and the nets, they, they broke. And so here we find Peter at the seashore with the haul of his life. He is blessed. He's got abundant wealth in this moment. His living is looking pretty good because of this catch, and Jesus calls him to be something greater. And so Peter, he said, I'm going to leave my broken nets right on this shoreline, and I'm going to follow after what God has for me because I have a greater purpose than just fishing. I've got a greater purpose than what I do eight to five, Monday to Friday. I've got a greater purpose than just what my career or my job tells me. God has a purpose for me and God has a purpose for you. And so Peter, 
He had no exit strategy whatsoever. He went all in on his relationship with Jesus. He left everything he had. He left the nets. He left his family. He left his boat. He didn't save it. He walked away from it. And he said, I'm going to follow after that purpose. We talked about Elisha, how when Elijah placed that mantle on him, he went and he killed those oxen, he sacrificed them, and he used those yokes to start the fire. Elisha, he said, I'm not turning back to this old purpose. I've got something that God is calling me to, and I want to walk to it in its fullness. And so similarly, we, you and me, we need to abandon the old things in our lives and embrace this new purpose that Jesus has for us, and that's giving and working in his kingdom. But beyond just this new life and beyond just this new purpose, there's something else that comes along with it. And it's a new value system. It's a new set of instructions, so to speak. Maybe you've traveled recently to the States or bought something in U.S. currency and you realize pretty quickly that the value you attained or ascertained to your money didn't really equal the value that somebody else from a different country saw. Because there are different things that different people value. I want to talk to you about somebody in the Bible tonight called Josiah. Josiah, we can read about him in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1 to 2. It says this, Josiah, he was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah from Bozkath. He did that which was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from what was right. Now, Josiah, he was king of Judah when the kingdom was divided. Israel's first three kings were Saul, David, and Solomon. And after Solomon's uh, reign, his son Rehoboam made some bad decisions, and, and that led Israel to be, being split two different ways. The tribes of Judah and Benjamin, they became the nation of Judah, and the other tribes continued to be called the nation of Israel as we know them. Now, throughout the book of Kings and Chronicles, we learn that Israel never had a single righteous king during that divided kingdom era. And Judah really only had a handful of them. And Josiah was one of those righteous kings. Though he became king at a very young age, the age of eight, the Bible tells us that, he, that no one ruled like Josiah did. And, and even though a few other kings of Judah may have been right with God, Josiah was special because he did not stray from following God and his instructions that he had laid out. And when Josiah reigned, Israel experienced a great revival. Josiah, he, he tore down those high places and he would cast down the idols that they used to worship, all of these other gods that they called and the gods that they worshiped. He, he went in, he tore them all down. He said, we're not going to serve these gods anymore. We're going to go back to serving the one true living God. And Josiah, he, he restocked the treasuries of the temple and he made major renovations and repairs to the temple. It's safe to say Hindsight being 2020, reading about this story that Josiah, he was on the right track. Yet for some reason, there was just something missing. Even though he was doing all of these things that were great and wonderful, and he was restoring the kingdom and trying to be a righteous leader and, and doing everything that he knew at that time to do, he felt like there was still something more. There was just something missing in the picture. And so when we read on in 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 8 to 13, it says this, and there's a lot of 
big, complicated Jewish names in here that if I skip over, please forgive me. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah, he, he gave the crowl to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan went to the king and reported. And he said, your officials have turned over the money collected at the temple of the Lord to the workers and the supervisors at the temple. But then he went on and told the king, he said, the high priest, he's, he's given me also this scroll. So he read it to the king. And when the king heard, hear this tonight, when the king heard what was written in this book of the law, he, he tore his clothes in despair. Josiah, being such a righteous leader, he, he reads what they had just found, this, this book of the law, and he tears his clothes. And he gave orders to him again, the, the priest and a couple others, the court secretary and his personal advisor. He said, go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me. Not only for me, but for all the people of Judah. Go speak to the Lord for me and inquire about the words that are written in this scroll that have been found for the, the Lord's great anger. It's burning against us because our ancestors did not obey the words in this scroll. We have not been doing everything it says that we must do. There is this moment of revelation for Josiah and those that were there at that moment. They're reading this scroll and I can only imagine their eyes get bigger and bigger and maybe their jaw begins to drop a little bit because they thought that they were doing good. But then all of a sudden they, they stumble upon this scroll just by happenstance and they read it and they say, oh my goodness, there's more to this than what I've been doing. There is more that God is asking of us. There's more that God is requiring of me and you than what we've known up to this point. And so while the temple was being repaired, they, they made this discovery, this book of the law. And to really understand this, we must understand what the world was like back then. See, we have this privilege that we can go buy books or e-books at any moment's notice. You've probably got at least one physical Bible, maybe two, maybe three. Maybe you've had one given to you. And you probably also have an electronic one. So there is really no moment in your life that you have to be absent from the word of God, from the book of the law, as we could call it today. But for them, there was no printing press. So books were not mass produced. There was no app store where they could just go search for the newest, greatest Bible app. That's not how it worked. And books not only were they not mass-produced, but they were very expensive and they were time-consuming to make. They were handwritten. So literally, it could take over a year just to write out a normal book or a normal scroll. And so as a result of all of this, very few books existed. And it wasn't uncommon for temples to only have a single copy of the law. Also, really for them, there was no need to have multiple copies of the book of the law or any other literature for that day because there was very few people who could even read it to begin with. And so again, if, if we misplace our Bible, if we brought our Bible tonight and we leave it on the seat, accidentally go home without it, we'll probably come back next week and it'll be here. But if we misplace our Bible, we can, we can go find another one. We can download an app. We can make it through a couple days because there's some way that we can read the word. But they didn't have that privilege that we have today. And so this discovery was big. This was a revelation to them. They had nothing like this. It's not that they were rereading or getting understanding from something they already had. No, they had no idea what they just read about. 
They said, I've, I've never heard of this before. We're not living up to what God called me to do. And so to lose the book of the law back then meant you probably lost the only copy that you had. And so without that scroll, without that book of the law around, people would live for God naturally based on what was passed down through words from generation to generation, or maybe there was preachers or, or prophets or teachers among them that would declare the word of the Lord. Really, in, in other words, everybody's relationship at that time with God was based on a direct word from him, what God had spoken to them directly, or the memories of their elders. Can you imagine how challenging it would be to memorize and understand and, and pass down scriptures from generation to generation to generation, and not only just to pass them down, but to not lose the true meaning, to have somebody um, not maybe paraphrase it and put it in their own words or put their personal twist on it. This was a big deal for them. But once the law was found, everything was different. As the word of the law were read before Josiah. He, he tore his garments in grief, realizing how far Judah had really fallen from God's plan that he had had for them. And so God responded just a few verses later, 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 16 to 20. It says, this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this city and its people. All the words written in the scroll that the king of Judah has read will come true. For my people have abandoned me. They've offered sacrifices to pagan gods, and I'm, I'm very angry with them for everything that they have done. My anger will burn against this place, and it will not be quenched. What an inspiring passage of Scripture. Who wouldn't love to go to prayer and get that back? But then it goes on. It says, But go to the king of Judah, who sent you to this place, to seek the Lord and, and tell him this. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the message that you have just heard. You were sorry and you humbled yourself before the Lord. And, and when you heard what I said against the city and its people, that this land would be cursed and become desolate, you tore your clothing in despair and you wept before me in repentance. And I indeed have heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send this promised disaster until after you have died and you've been buried in peace. You will not see disaster. You will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on this city. So they took the message back to the king. God was so impressed with Josiah's response that he delayed the judgment that he had in store for Judah. And even though God had made that declaration, Josiah, he wasn't done. Because as we continue to read Josiah's story, we find he was very careful to make sure every single aspect of the law was observed. He even reinstituted the Passover and made sure it was the grandest Passover of all time, trying to make up for lost time, so to speak. And so when Josiah was made aware of the scroll, he could have been content with business as usual. He could have just said, wow, this is good. This is nice. I, I like what this says. This is, these are, are some nice things that we could do. These are good principles to live by. But, you know, I'm doing all right. I'm a righteous king. You know, you remember we, we tore down those idols and we went to this grove and we took it down and we've, we've restored the temple. We've put treasure back into the treasuries. Like, we're on the right path already. It's, it's okay. I'm, I'm doing good. That could have been 
Josiah's response. God was pleased with him. Yet his relationship with God caused him to adjust his entire value system. Because Josiah loved the Lord so much, he could not come to grips with the fact that there was more that he could do, more that he could live by, more that he could operate. And he didn't want to leave anything on the table. And so when this instruction, when this book of the law came into the picture, he said, I know we've been doing good, but there is something greater that I can go after. And so he changed everything. He reinstitutes the Passover. He begins to follow laws that people not only weren't following, but they had forgotten about. And he said, we need to do what this book says. We need to live by these principles. We need to have these feasts and do these things because this is what God desires from us. And so the question is this. Because we live in a world where we are so blessed and we have abundance all around us. What is Jesus worth to you? What is living for God worth to you? I've got to ask myself that question. What is living this Christian lifestyle, trying to live a a holy and acceptable life, what is it worth? Think about it. What is it worth to me and what is it worth to you to live this way? Because I am sure for Josiah, it was a little bit inconvenient. I am sure that when he read that book of the law, it meant that there was more things that had to be done. There was more rules and there was more regulations and there was more work that had to be put into things in the, in the kingdom. But there was something inside of him that he said, you know what? I know this might inconvenience me. I know this might put a little more workload on me. I know this might bring me out of my comfort zone a little bit, but I love the Lord. I want everything that the Lord Lord has for me. And so I'm going to follow after what he wants and whatever God values, I value. Whatever God says is important, I'm gonna say is important. I don't wanna live by my own value system. I don't wanna live by the value system that has been handed down from generation to generation. Even though those things might be good, just like Josiah, they are good and righteous things. He said, no, there is something inside of me that says this is worth living for. And so what is Jesus worth? What is he worth to you and what is he worth to me? Now imagine for a moment, that somebody accidentally deposited a million dollars in your bank account. Praise God. Let's all lift our hands and worship. You ever seen those stories? I, sh- I should have looked one up. There has been multiple stories where people have checked their accounts and there is an abundance of money because a, ne- a wire transfer went to the wrong account number. They missed just one digit, you know, and... It'd be pretty awkward to check your bank account and you're a million dollars richer and you're feeling good. And you know it's not yours. You know it's not yours. You know that somebody didn't intentionally put that there. But it would feel pretty crummy to wake up the next day and realize it's all gone. Even though you knew it wasn't yours to spend, it wasn't yours to begin with, it would just be a really terrible feeling. But imagine, just just use your imagination. If you want to send me a million dollars, I'll stop using my imagination and I'll experience the the richness of it. But imagine, okay? We're having fun tonight. This is, this is main service and youth service. I just want to remind you. I put a million dollars in your account, or you wake up tomorrow morning, you check your bank balance, you're going to pay some bills. There's a million dollars extra in there. Do you think the way that you would live your life would change? Let's say somebody put the million in there, and you could see who sent it, and you call them up, and they say, hey, listen, I just wanted to bless you. I just had 
I just had this old bag of money sitting around. I didn't know what to do with it. I got so much of it. I just wanted to bless you with it. And you say, okay, received. Thank you, Jesus. But do you think the way that you would live today would change? Do you think that you would offer to work those extra hours? Do you think that you would still pick up that part-time job to make a few extra dollars? Do you think that you would still live in the same house? Do you think that you would still drive the same car? Do you think that your taste in coffee would change from Tim Hortons to Starbucks? I'll take that as a yes. Would you still wear the same clothes? Would you still take the same vacations? Probably not. If somebody gave you a million dollars and they said, I wanted to bless you with this, I could almost guarantee that 99% of the people in this room would have a new car within the next 365 days. You might just go on a, a little bit larger of a spending spree than what you've typically done. And, and your vacation, it might not just be to PEI, but you might be in like Sicily or, you know, Australia. Like something is going to be different about your vacation. I can almost guarantee it. It makes sense, if we're being honest, that if you had that blessing, if you had that abundance, if somebody put a million dollars in your account and said, do whatever you want with it, it would make sense that your life would begin to change a little bit, that your value system would begin to change a little bit, that how you lived your life and the blessing that you walked in would begin to develop. And the first thing you should do is transition from Tim Hortons to some other coffee. The first thing. We can talk later. Just don't beat me up. But here's the question. If money, if wealth, if possessions, if $1 million would change your value system, would change the way you think about where you live, what you drive, what you wear, where you go on vacation, and how you live your life, the question is, what is your relationship with Jesus worth to you? Is it worth changing how you live your life? If a million dollars would make you change how you live, this relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ, would it change how you live? Is it worth changing how you live for this relationship that we have with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Is it worth changing your life goals for and what you want to do and how you want to live and what you want, wherever you want to go? Is it worth changing how you dress? Is it worth changing where you go and how you talk and what you watch and what you listen to and how you live your day-to-day -day life? Is it worth it? The answer is emphatically, yes, it is. Is Because there is nothing more valuable. There is nothing you can get in this world that is more valuable than this life, this life more abundant that Jesus has given us. And so I am willing to change anything and I am willing to change everything. If Jesus says it, I want to make sure that I'm doing it. If it means that I don't talk to the same people I used to talk to and, and I don't talk the same way I used to, I'm willing to do it. 
If it means that I don't participate in the same social activities that I used to, I'm okay with that. If it means I don't watch the same things that I used to watch, I'm okay with that. If it means that I spend my time differently than other people, I'm okay with that because this is worth everything to us. Amen. Salvation is how Jesus demonstrates how much we are worth to him. Salvation demonstrates how much we are worth to Jesus. You are worth so much to him. The person sitting beside you is worth so much to him that he was willing to come to earth, live a sinless life and die and shed his blood so that one day you and I and everybody else that gets to experience the salvation could go to heaven. He's putting, he's putting a, a value on your life. You are worth everything to him. Salvation is how Jesus demonstrates how much we are worth to him. But hear me, consecration. Consecration is how we demonstrate to Jesus how much he is worth to us. Jesus says, I, I see you, you are invaluable. I cannot replace you. You are so unique and I need you and I want you to go to heaven one day, but then we can echo back to Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus, you are worth so much to me that if it means I gotta uproot my whole life and move across the country, I will do it because God, I wanna live the life that you have in store for me. So consecration is how we say, Jesus, you're worth it. How I live my life, it says, Jesus, you're worth it. It might not be what I want. It might feel inconvenient in the moment, but consecration is how I show him this is worth it to me. And so we need to make sure that we embrace consecration and, and embrace living a holy lifestyle. The Bible describes Jesus as holy. And it's such a, a great expression of praise that we read in scriptures of people around the throne declaring Jesus' holiness nonstop for eternity. They are going around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. But Jesus also calls us to be holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. And music, you can come back with me. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 15 to 16, it says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Now, we may think as apostolic people, the first thing that typically would come to our mind when we think of this word holy or holiness, the first thing that typically comes up in conversation with people that don't understand why we live the way that we live, we, we think about initially this external action, such as what we wear and how we talk. And, and those things are most definitely, 100% of the time, applications of our pursuit of holiness. If you are pursuing holiness, if you are trying to live better and do better and consecrating yourself to the Lord, you are going to change in those aspects. You're going to talk different. At least you're going to want to. You're going to make baby steps. You're going to start to dress a little bit differently. And those things typically for people that are seeking after the Lord, no matter what denomination they go in, if they're seeking after the Lord, those things almost organically begin to happen. 
And so it's, it is external action. That is at least a part of the pursuit of holiness. But those applications alone, they, they don't define holiness. Because there is, there is so much more than just that external part to holiness. A simple definition of holiness is this. Separating ourselves unto Jesus and separating ourselves from the world. I'll say that again. Holiness is separating ourselves to Jesus, but separating ourselves from the world. And the only way we can be holy like Jesus is if we allow Jesus, if we let his word speak to us, if we allow Jesus to change our values. And so the question is, if he has given us this new life and he has given us this new purpose and as we walk in holiness and consecration and, and we try to live the best life that we can, how do we do that? How do we take what God values and implant it in how we live every single day? First things first, we need to make sure we're spending time every day in prayer. It's simple. You could preach about prayer in every sermon that ever gets preached from this pulpit. But prayer is simply communicating with Jesus. We share our hearts with Jesus. But we should also make sure that we are listening to what he is wanting to say back to us. And if we sincerely ask him what things in our life need to change, he will answer us. If we're unsure about something, if you're looking to make a decision in your life that is, is borderline, it's not sinful, it's not necessarily bad, but you're not, you don't have clarity or you've got confusion about it, you can go to Jesus. You can say, God, here's, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm thinking about. Here's, here's my struggle. Here's what I've been contemplating. And I just want to make sure that I'm living my life right. So Lord, can you speak to me? Can you show me? Can you let your values become my values? Can you let what you care about and what you think is important become what I care about and what I think is important? We need to make sure that we are spending time in prayer. It's hard to know somebody's values. It's hard to know what they care about and what they're passionate about if we don't talk to them. I could try and go around the room tonight and guess what you are passionate about, what hobbies you have, what you like to do, what you care about, what food you like, it doesn't matter. I could guess and I would be totally wrong, but if we sat down for half an hour and just had a conversation and I begin to ask you questions, I would begin to gain understanding of what's important to you. And prayer is no different. If you wanna understand his value system, you need to make sure, and I need to make sure that we're talking to him every single day. We need to spend time every single day in the Bible, in the Word of God. The Bible is literally an instruction letter from God. It is literally His Word written down for us to follow and to look on and gain insight and understanding. And there, there are really two aspects to spending time in the Word. Number one is that we read it with an open heart. We read it with an open mind, allowing Jesus to speak to us through it. You've done it. I've done it. You're just going about your, your normal daily routine of reading through the Bible. And all of a sudden, it's like a verse. It jumps out of the page at you. And all of a sudden, a verse that you might have read dozens of times before begins to speak to you in a different way than it ever had. 
You can't get moments like that if you're not in the Word. You can't get understanding like that if we're not spending time reading and loving what He's wanting to speak to us. So we need to make sure we read it with an open heart and an open mind. But we also need to study out what the Word says so we can understand it more fully. Number three, be faithful in church attendance. Now this one might seem a little bit redundant tonight because I can look around this room and this is a room full of faithful, God-loving, God-fearing people. We need to make sure that when, we, when the doors of this church are open, when there is a service, that we make it a priority to be here, that we don't put other things that we value ahead of valuing the house of the Lord. We should all try to be present anytime that there's a service. And number four, I close with this. If you want to understand his values, you just need to get out there and, and do something. And here's what I mean by that. Part of changing. How do we know to change if we haven't been instructed? But part of changing is, is knowing what to do. The Bible gives us clear instructions on some things and how to live life and how to live holy and how to try to walk in consecration to the best of our current knowledge and ability. But the other part is not just knowing what to do. That's easy sometimes. We're, we're good at knowing what to do. We're good at coming to church. We're good at coming to youth group. We're good at hearing an evangelist come in and they, they preach to us and they tell us what we need to do. And we say, yeah, I agree. Amen. That's, that's stage one, knowing what to do. But, but stage two is, is actually doing it. It's not just reading it. Like Josiah could have been said, man, that's, that's good stuff. I bet back then when they did that, that was, that was really awesome. I'm sure that benefited the kingdom. And then he could have gone ahead and not done any of it. He could have. He could have known what to do and then not done it. We need to make sure that we're not just hearers, but we are doers also. We must make sure that when we have received instruction, just like that young King Josiah did, that we don't just read it and say, that's nice, sounds good, it's for somebody else, I don't know if I can do it, I'm gonna pass on this. We must make sure that we put action to what we hear. And we don't just come in here and walk away and don't do anything with it. That, that seed of the word that the Bible talks about, right? It, it goes out and it, it lands on the good ground and it, it grows up a little bit and then all of a sudden it goes away. We need to be hearers and doers. Some changes in our life are easy. Some changes that you've had to make in, in walking with the Lord as God has begun, began to, to lead you and, and guide you, it's been easy. But there are some things that are, are hard. Some things that take a little more wrestling and some things that take a little bit more submission and some things that take a little bit more energy and effort to do. So some might be easy, some might be hard but all of them will be worth it. Living for God is not just this set of rules, stipulations, regulations, things to just give you a rotten life until the rapture happens and then you'll be okay. No, that is not what the Bible is. That is not what the word of God is. That would, to be honest, be an immature thing to say because we know that these things that God has set out for us, these, these values, this lifestyle of holiness and consecration, it's not limiting me, but it is a blessing. And so just like that young King Josiah, we have got this book of the law. We've got this 
Bible and the call. Our pursuit every single day should be to live a lifestyle of holiness and consecration to the best of our ability, putting all of our effort and strength and living a holy life for the Lord. Would you stand with me? And I just want to pray. It is 7.58. We've got a couple minutes before we need to go home tonight. But would you just pray with me? And pray your own prayer. But, but really, this, this message is about making sure we understand the value system. That, that what God has called us to do, we, we have that value system on the inside of us. So it's really a call to, to deeper consecration into holiness for the Lord. Would you pray with me tonight? Lord Jesus. God, I thank you for your word that provides us so much insight and and direction and sometimes even correction. But God, I I just pray tonight that there would be a a call or that there would be a deeper understanding that that we desire to value. We desire to pursue and and chase after godly things. And we don't want to get hung up on the things of this world. But God, we are just asking tonight that there would be a a renewal, Lord, that there would be a refreshing in our spirit. That the way we are living, the, the reason we do the things that we are doing is not just because it's rules and regulations, but that it is a pursuit of holiness and that that holiness is an example to the world around us it's not just for me and I will benefit from it but this lifestyle of holiness is for everybody else around me not to see me but so that I can reflect your glory would you lift your hands with me all over this room we've got a couple minutes Lord I thank you for the blessings that you have placed in our hands. Lord, I thank you for your abundant grace and your abundant mercy. Lord, that you gave us salvation, you gave us purpose, and you gave us a new value system to live by. And God, we don't want to ignore what you said, but God, we want to walk in the fullness of life that you have for us. So Lord God, I pray that what was spoken tonight wouldn't just stay in this room and wouldn't just last in this moment, but God, I pray that tomorrow morning when I wake up, that I would remember life is worth living with your value system that living a holy life is worth it living a consecrated life is worth it hallelujah I worship you Jesus I worship you Jesus God, I'm thankful that I don't live the way that I used to live. God, I am so thankful that I don't value the things that I used to value. God, I am so grateful that you have placed in me a new value system. And I pray tonight, Lord, that if there is anybody in this room that is struggling to live in holiness and consecration, that they know from your word, Lord, that this word would be an encouragement and that there would be an understanding within them that everything that we do is worth it. Living for you is worth it. Lord, just the the same way that we talked about that money, how it would change the way that we live. Lord, we value our relationship with you so much that God, it'll change how we live, how we talk, where we go, how we interact with people. It will change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name.